Welcome in to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. It is a sunny, not really sunny, but a nice Thursday morning, and we have no shortage of things to discuss. Do we have any, do we have any witty banner that we want to start with? Well, we were just talking about Colorado football in the early 90s. You guys were teaching me some things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to share with the audience what we had to teach you. You can. I don't care. This guy didn't know who Sal Nessie was. I had no idea. The late Sal Nessie. I'd never seen that 30 for 30. Yeah. I'd never, uh, I've never watched it. My, my knowledge of Colorado football more or less starts like right with Cordell Stewart. Uh, anything before that, I don't have much. Uh, they did win a national title before that. Um, was that over Notre Dame? Is that right? Oh yeah. Now that was that was a story into itself. The team that lost a game, tied a game, won a fifth down game, yeah. and then they beat Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl when a Rocket Ishmael uh, punt return was yeah. called back in the final minute. And the only reason I I can think of that is that on the old NTA football games they had that mode where they had famous moments uh-huh. in like college football history. That you could replay and you could be Rocket and have to try to return the the touchdown. Oh, really? For the win, and I had, I had done that. I remember that one. That that mode was outstanding. There was some really cool things in there. There was the 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 Colorado hail mary against Michigan. Hmm. There was a really fun Penn State one in a snow game. There was Nebraska Miami going for with two. A two point conversion. Uh, I don't know why I'm just now thinking about this, but I really kind of want to go fire up the PS2. And replace that feels like it could be a summer podcast, to be honest. Yeah, yeah that, it could be <laughs> moments we'd like to replay in NCAA football. Yeah. That and Mike Schaefer learns about college football circa 1990. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I that was a, I that was a shared national title, by the way. Yeah, I am no, yes. I have no interest really in learning about the history of things before. As it relates to college football, like before 1993, I just don't. What's your favorite era? that you've been alive of college football, like over a four or five year period? Uh, the ones that probably stand out. And, and I remember, I mean, the first season that I watched college football was 93. The first game I remember very vividly was the loss to uh, Florida State. And then, you know, I remember parts of the 94 season. I remember the championship game very vividly. 95 is like the first year I remember almost every game from. Mm-hmm. Um but, like, my favorite time period would probably have started 97 in that 97, 98, 99. See, my there. favorite era is actually probably the late 80s, maybe into the early 90s. It was, there was just, it was probably because of my age, because college football is larger than life when you're a kid and, yeah. and stuff like that. But you had just, you had interesting offenses, like, College football was starting to get away from just being all run game. You were starting to get like some Steve Spurrier stuff that was coming at you. And Miami was just jerk stores all over the place, but it was like great for college football. Notre Dame was really good with Lou Holtz, so you yeah. either loved him or hated him. It just had like this whole like cocktail that worked well together. Do you guys have a favorite year of college football? You know, that's kind of a somewhat of a broad question but like I I honestly think my favorite just in terms of a college football season and part of it is because the bowl games were so good is the year that it ended up with USC and Texas in the Rose Bowl 
you had so many terrific bowl games that came out of that. You had Penn State, Florida State. You had the really stupid um, Ohio State, Notre Dame with that split jersey of uh, Brady Quinn's sister, I think. Yes. And um, you had uh, the West Virginia, who at that time was maybe one of the most interesting teams because of what you're talking about in terms of doing something really different, absolutely smoking Georgia. I just I really like that 2006 bowl season and that season in general. That's like one of the years that jumps out to me when I think about college football at large like that. Mine would probably be one of the late 80s years, but – there was a funny year for Nebraska football, like 19 – it had it would have been 90, I think. It wasn't a very good Nebraska team, but they're, un, they're undefeated, like going into the Colorado game in the rainstorm here in Lincoln. And that was the game Eric Bieniemy scored four touchdowns and Colorado won 27-12. But that day, there was – I remember this very well. Virginia was like the number one team in the country no that kidding. day. Yeah, they were having a good season, happened to be undefeated, but they got – I, they either won on a field goal or got knocked off by Georgia Tech that week. I can't remember. But they announced the score while Nebraska was ahead of Colorado, and it meant Nebraska was probably going to move, like be number one if they won the game. And it was just funny that that kind of mediocre to crap Nebraska team was like in the hunt, like the in, to be number one. in mid-November, and then ended up like just going down the drain that year before the show we were talking about random quarterbacks and i mentioned that frank reich was the only maryland quarterback i could come up with i can't name a virginia quarterback right now i think the guy's name that year was sean moore i cannot for the life (laughs) of me name a virginia quarterback thomas jones played running back there i distinctly remember that um i was scott mitchell was he a virginia quarterback i think he was uh utah was he? I don't know. Stats- he might have even been BYU. I should know that because I thought he was Utah. You're looking up Virginia football right now? Yeah. Brunts is going in a place no one should ever go yeah, where they're looking up going Virginia down football. the rabbit hole. Of Virginia football quarterbacks? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I could name. I, I can't think of any. Like, at all. It's a total. You mentioned Virginia, and I was like, I Virginia I football know. is probably how most people honestly have viewed Nebraska basketball for a long time, <laughs> and hopefully that's changing. But they, they play. That, that was pro, that's probably about the equivalent. They have a good coach in Bronco Mendenhall. They yeah. might be kind of an interesting team this year in the ACC, which I don't think it's going to be very good, but they can mm-hmm. win some games. Yeah. Anyway, we're still waiting for Brunts to say something. He's like catatonic over here. Oh, well, I'm. I'm Sean Moore, 1990. That's the guy yeah. I was thinking of. There you go. The Barbers both played there. Yeah, I knew that. Thomas Jones played there. Uh, you remember when his brother, or his brother Julius Jones, is supposed to be like the best running back ever? He's at Notre Dame. And I, yeah, I believe really that Sean Moore is the only first-team All-American quarterback in Virginia history. There's a Virginia game. Nebraska fans probably think of those when Nebraska's really good and they're kind of in a pole war with Florida State and it was Virginia right who beat them on a Thursday night they beat Florida State on a Thursday night game that was an Early awesome 90s. game and Florida State was down by like four or five on the last play and they ran a direct snap to Warwick Dunn who got stopped like a foot short of the goal line it was pretty awesome <laughs> here's a name that's Matt, Virginia football Matt Schaub okay He's a Virginia right. guy. yeah um 
So of the uh, the original pick six before uh, Tanner Lee came to be, they they have retired jerseys at Virginia. Sorry, this is terrible. This is great. I love this. Uh, Bob Davis, who played, uh, he's seventy three years old now. Played in the NFL for a little bit. He's he's an honored jersey, and that's pretty much it. And Matt Schaub, those are your two guys. Virginia football, go who's? There you go. That's your Virginia minute. Yeah. <laughs> it was longer than a minute. That felt like an hour. I felt like some people learned some things, mainly me. But, yeah. when you, Like I said, when you said Virginia was number one, I could not, for the life of me, come up with a quarterback. That's something I enjoy doing is picking a random program and then trying to come up with who their quarterbacks were. That was what was great about some of the 80s and 90s stuff, though, is the way it worked out. They would, If you stayed undefeated long enough, you would get rewarded where you were like, top three in the country no matter who you were i mean byu won a freaking national title one year playing so Detmer, right yeah no it was before him they, they it was 80s early 80s was it jim mcmahon didn't he go there i don't know that he i i don't even know if he was their qb that year but was it 81 um, go look at their schedule sometime they didn't play anybody all year until they played a pretty bad michigan team in like the holiday bowl or something something i learned the other day when i was looking up howard schnellenberger there was a lot more teams that were independents uh, in the, the 80s and the 90s. Louisville was an independent yeah. team. Uh, Miami was an independent team. I didn't know that at, uh, at the time, that Miami was independent. I Did didn't I, realize that there was that many independent programs. I ever tell you, I lot, when he was coaching Florida Atlantic, I had to go down and cover him, and I locked my keys in my car in the parking lot. And Florida Atlantic was just it was like a – barely above a high school at that point right. as far as their college program. So I had to go up to the door and knock and see if someone was there. And Howard Schnellenberger let me in, and I made a phone call like to get the campus uh, locksmith out there to get my keys out. I, I would have been. <laughs> I would have hoped that he would have given you a hanger and then yeah. came over and helped fish it. Just fished it well, out. Or he just broke your window. But he was such a nice guy. And I know Nebraska fans have the – he was a little bit the devil to him for a long time because he was that coach who beat him. But uh, he has, like, this voice from God, you know, yeah, the way he, really he talks. And Have you ever interviewed him? Yeah, I had yeah. interviewed him that day, and he was really nice with his time. So he, we actually had talked prior to that, so it wasn't just a cold meeting. Right. Um, but he was a real gentleman, and actually I found him – quite enjoyable and i even told him i was like i'm from nebraska and you know back there they're they're kind of down on you because of the whole 84 orange bull and like so flying a like helicopter. 2000 when it would have been time? 2003 okay florida nice. atlantic wasn't like yet in the fbs but they were kind of up and coming like as an fcs or whatever they were calling we were calling it back then when nebraska played florida atlantic in 2009 i was at the daily nebraskan and i just I think they send out the, you know, how you can get a hold of the opposing media person. And I basically was like, yeah, is there any chance I could talk to somebody over there? I'm trying to do a preview for this game. And they're like, well, you want to talk to the coach Schnellenberger? Here he is. <laughs> like, sure. He's like, well, call up this time. He spoke to me on the phone, like student reporter for 40 some minutes. And at least half of it had nothing to do with the football. And it was just him talking about various things and he has like a very distinct voice mm -hmm. and he was so kind and generous of his time i have nothing but good things to say yeah. about howard schnellenberger 
Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. We're anyway, we're, anyway. we're in the weeds. Right. Eleven minutes into Bronson's this thing. Bronson's really perturbed yeah, at yeah, us. Yeah, he doesn't like it. <laughs> He's the guy that doesn't like the banter. We got a lot of wonder. stuff to talk about. Do we? Yeah, it's June. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Well, let's <laughs> dive right into it. C.J. Smith transfer portal gone. Surprise you? A little bit. Um, I think that of the people that have left so far, he's maybe the one that Nebraska would have fought the most to try to keep around. Um, they obviously liked him. He was going to play until that injury in his first game against Northwestern took him out of their rotation. But if you were to talk to Travis Fisher, he was going to be in line for some playing time the rest of that season. And they were a little bit disappointed that that happened. But, you know, injuries freshman year, it's hard. It's already hard when you're a freshman. It's harder when you're hurt and you're kind of removed from the team a little bit. You saw him thank the trainers in his note. Uh, he spent a lot of time around the team doctors and the trainers because of it. Um, it's just a, an unfortunate situation. That group's that, that safety group is getting more interesting, right? I mean, it already kind of was because you had Deontay Williams, Markel Dismuke, and a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean – I don't think C.J. Smith was going to play a ton this year just based on when that injury happened last year. I mean, maybe he helps you later in conference season, but uh, that's one less option that you have back there now and an option that had been around the program for a season, knew the defense. And, I mean, I I don't think it's overselling it to say that Nebraska was really going to rely on him last year after or was planning to, but then he got injured. Yeah, and Travis Fisher has said – that he would like to roll out like four or five safeties during a game and rotate them a lot. And that becomes pretty interesting now when you dive into, okay, like who are the third, fourth, fifth guys? Um, and you start to immediately think of guys who are just showing up this week when you talk about that, like Miles Farmer and Pola Gates and Newsom. I mean, those those guys <laughs> – they got to be excited because it's right there for one or two of them. I, I have to think one of those guys, at least, if not two, is going to be a part of it. Uh, they're going to use the four-game thing, I would think, with a couple of them um, to maybe save a red shirt. Eric Lee is kind of a wild card people forget about, but they moved him to safety in the spring, and they seem to he seemed to have good early reviews there, and I know people roll their eyes, but sometimes it – Stuff like that works out where it's a guy's final year. You switch him to something slightly different, and he gives you just what you need from, like, a senior perspective. And so I think he can – he at least gives them some depth as these young guys kind of figure some stuff out. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree um, with what you basically said there about Eric Lee. And, you know, with C.J. Smith, Brunts, I think, is ultimately correct too. I wouldn't have expected much out of him this year as it was. And so those freshmen, it'll be interesting – which of them is able to maximize that opportunity. The name that people forget that the safety room lost, uh, and if you talk to the people over at Nebraska, if you're talking to the defensive back coaches, it's a pretty big loss, JoJo Doman. Uh, They, you know, I I had some conversations with people over there that when that Ohio State game happened, they knew they were never getting him back in that defensive back room. So for them, that was a pretty big loss because that was a guy they really liked uh, that they were counting on to play and, 2019 that he's obviously going to play just a different level on the defense don't we all kind of it feels like we all kind of know jojo doman's pretty dang good it's just a matter of stay healthy yeah i mean 
That's uh, how I feel about him. I like have way too much confidence in him for how much well, we've seen him. I think he's the most exciting player on the defense in the sense that in your mind you can build him to be any sort of version of a 3-4 outside linebacker. Like he can be the guy that plays in space. We saw what he did to Dwayne Haskins. Uh, you know that his athleticism is good. You remember from a prior coaching staff, they were absolutely in love with what he could do for them as a dime before the the first ACL tear. So I, I think that there's just a lot of projectability that comes up in your mind when you think about JoJo Doman, even if he hasn't had that much experience yet. Yeah. The So the, the newcomers, uh, the guys coming on campus this summer, most of those guys are starting out at, at corner. That's what Travis Fisher had said in the spring. you got to think that some of those guys are going to be looked at at safety pretty quickly. Um just based on, you know, the the need, I think, that's there. And, I mean, they like those guys. They really like this defensive back class uh, to come in and, and be contributors. And, I mean, frankly, there's some guys in that group that I don't know that their body types really fit at cornerback. I mean, I, I find it hard to believe that Javon Wright is going to play cornerback his entire career at Nebraska. Like, it's just not – I don't think it's going to happen. It's where he's going to start. I know. But, like, I – I wonder if you see those guys get moved a little bit more quickly or at least, you know, hey, let's try you out at safety or something like that based on – I mean, not just based on C.J. Smith. I mean, I think there was a need there before that, but I think it's even more more so now. Well, I, I think with somebody like Wright, they're going to – and Braxton Clark to a degree, they're going to see how long they can wait before they have to move him over because I, I think the other name – I don't even know if either one of you mentioned it. I apologize if I'm repeating it, but Cam Taylor could be playing safety. Yeah, that's quite right. a bit for Nebraska this year too. Um, there's, I think, a prevailing feeling around those over in that program that he's ultimately going to end at safety anyways. So you could see a lot of Cam Taylor this year back there too with Eric Lee, Markell, and, and Deontay. Well, Fisher said Cam Taylor is probably their best defensive back this spring. So it's. I think it's just a matter of which is pretty high praise considering what I know they feel about Deontay Williams too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ted DiCaprio Boodle. I feel like Cam Taylor is a guy. He's like a Swiss Army knife for him back there. They feel like we can use this guy a bunch of different ways depending on the matchup, and he he's kind of perfect in that way. So he's going to play a ton. It just could be. Just don't. You can't just like write his name in pen somewhere yep. necessarily. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. Wait, what else? Well, we. You're I'm, the one that wanted to get off the banner. There's talk. stuff. There's stuff to talk about. Well, I'll, we'll we <laughs> let's talk. Just tell me what it is. Let's not dwell on it. I'll the Maurice Washington thing. He got in a little little trouble. Um, uh, there's reports that uh, some had to do with some weed or their the he was cited for paraphernalia is yeah, basically what the yeah. charge is there was so. a smell coming from the place he lived on a, on the surface i think we all agree that in itself not, not great not the biggest deal in the world but it's one of those times where it's like lay low please yeah you and, know i mean we'll know a lot more about his yeah future situation and all that stuff after the next uh june 13th i believe yeah is the next court appearance so that's what i mean that's what i think we all kind of think about that like let's see what happens with the big trial in california and the the optics aren't great though no it's not 
definitely not great. Um, what else? What else happened? You you were you were on the the big red uh, express blitz blitzkrieg the, Bl- the big red blitzkrieg is that what it was called? I think it was just last a week blitz, but yeah, no krieg. Yeah, okay. No. It wasn't a whistle stop. <laughs> no, there were no whistles. What well, what happened? You got Scott Frost. You got you got Bill Moose. You got Fred Hoiberg. Yeah, you got little Amy Williams too, didn't you? Amy was there. Uh, Ronda Ravel was there. Yeah. Mark Manning. Mm-hmm. Um, That's like half the AD. S- Scott Frost. Uh, Who's the most tenured person in the Nebraska athletic department? It's Ravel, right? Yes. Coaches. And then is it Manning after that? Mm, he's up there. But that's pretty. How long has, <clears throat> has John Walker been in Nebraska? Oh, I forgot about him. That's the soccer coach for people who don't know who John Walker <laughs> is, which might be a fair amount of our listeners. So. Yeah. Anyways, what'd you learn? Uh, Scott Frost is still Fred Hoiberg. That was a big deal when he came out, but it's it's still funny where football is in the states. Scott Frost and Fred Hoiberg said this jokingly. It's like golf claps for everybody else, and then Scott comes out, and it's a whole different. Everybody's standing and getting off their, you know, they got to whoop it up for them. Um, he said a lot of the stuff you would think uh, would happen at a sermon like that where you're just kind of rallying uh, the congregation. Uh, I think the thing that, that stood out and I wrote about it was the thing about his biggest challenge to his team this offseason is toughness. And it's just it got to be tougher. And he said some stuff that some people would read as, like, nostalgia talking about the 90s. But I do think within that was a challenge uh, to his guys that has been there since last December that this this team has to take a step where when you play against Iowa and Wisconsin in the trenches, um, you're not you're not the weak link. You can't be the weak link on either side of those lines. So um, toughness was probably the biggest thing that was talked about by Frost and uh I think the thing that they they feel like they've got to match some teams in the West, and then their offense can maybe take care of some of the rest, their, their scheme and all that. But you got to win in the trenches first. Was the the tone at this thing different? I mean, because they had the all the coaches out last summer uh, blanketing the state. I mean, was the tone from Scott Frost different than kind of what you heard? I mean, certainly last summer, but what you heard in the spring tour was it kind of the same, the same drumbeat from uh, Scott Frost and kind of what they have to do. I, I mean, guess besides the tough. I guess the thing it. I felt in the room was the same sort of optimism from the fans. Like you, you can just kind of feel sometimes when people still believe in something, and I just don't th- feel like anybody's been knocked off. Uh, their, their path with with what they think is going to happen if it, it just felt like a very the fans were kind of eating it all up and um i think frost talking about like summer conditioning and how you know last year zach Duvall every week would give him like one or two names of guys that are really coming along and this this year it's like 12 guys every week i mean stuff like that take it for what it is but i i think there's probably some truth to that and um uh, so the, he feels like they're at another level kind of behind the scenes. Now it's a matter of if you can you can translate that when they get out there in August. How was Hoiberg in front of that crowd? Because I'm, I'm curious, like, I think he's a pretty funny guy. Like, I think he's 
kind of low-key funny. He is. Um, but how does that play in a big room like that? Because, I mean, he, he does have to – you don't have to be Tim Miles and, and, you know, cracking jokes all the time, but I feel like you do kind of have to get up and thump your chest a little bit about maybe, Nebraska basketball. Maybe it's my sense of humor, and I think you actually have kind of a similar sense of humor. Um, I actually – think he's funnier than miles yeah like sort of like miles is sort of i mean it, it's in your face a little bit and rah rah but uh hoiberg uh it's like a dry humor yeah and he's good he, i i didn't know how he was gonna be but he is really impressive like in front of us and then before a crowd like that, you can, I mean, he's just, he's got a lot of substance he, he gives off and he, he actually gives a lot of information, uh, while he's doing it, but he can be, he can jab back and forth with frost. Like they're joking about who has a better vertical and stuff like that. And I mean, on the surface, it was like just a Husker fans delight. Cause you got these two mid 40 something coaches you know, young guys, relatively speaking, in their profession, and they're just kind of playing off each other. And I think in this dream world, Nebraska fans would think of them like, you know, going to each other's practice and kind of seeing how they do stuff. And I th- I do think there will be some of that. Yeah, I, I think I, I think kind of being second fiddle a little bit like Nebraska basketball is and always will be, I, I think is actually better off. For, for I think Hoiberg's fine with it. Like, I, I think it's... It's kind of like, let me go to work. Let me, you know, get into the coaching part of it. And then, you know, when it comes, when the lights come on, you know, you can turn it on. But And he gets it because he, he loved Nebraska football too as a kid. Right. So he, right. he gets where that all comes from. He knows the whole score. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it's a, I don't know, I don't think it's a detriment to Nebraska basketball, if you're second fiddle to Nebraska football, if it's pretty obvious the fan base is going to show up if you're successful. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you're worried that no one's going to be there, even if you're good. Because if you're good, they're going to love you even more. And they already are into it when the team's average to above average. So I I don't think that should be too much of a concern uh, for anyone there. What else did did Bill Moose have to say during this experience? Uh, Bill Moose didn't say anything, uh, that we haven't heard before. Um, I guess he told Colorado they're on their, on their way. Um, you know, Colorado's trying to keep Nebraska out and that got a big, big applause line, but, um, he did, he, he didn't really add anything that, that we haven't heard. I mean, I, I, I don't, if, if it came up, I didn't hear it at the stop I was at in Fremont, but I know that the alcohol in the stadium things on a lot of people's minds, um, you know, like whether that should be or shouldn't be. I was kind of surprised that wasn't more of the conversation actually um, from people, but it wasn't at that time. Um, and then the Erstad thing hadn't broke yet. We will get into that at some point here, but you know, he at that point they were getting ready for their regional, and uh, that's what we knew about Husker baseball. Yeah. Uh, before we get to baseball, which we are definitely going to talk about. Uh, I want to mention a few things recruiting-wise. Nebraska was in St. Louis last Friday. They had four coaches down there. I was also down at that camp. Uh, Really kind of an interesting setup. You get a lot of kids that come through. It's a a well-run camp. You could see why the coaches, and I think there was over 70-some programs that were in attendance, want to go to that event because it's well put together. It's easy to 
to see the kids in the environment that you want to be able to evaluate them off of. You get the one-on-one stuff, you get the the seven-on-seven stuff, you get the drill work, and you get the athletic testing. So I I think I I definitely understand why Nebraska is stopping down there. Still have some real question marks as to how fruitful St. Louis can be for them in the long run, but they're certainly going to put themselves forward. Two names to know for 2020 if you think Nebraska is going to get through the St. Louis hump. Joe Moore, uh, defensive end linebacker type, didn't work out, and neither did uh, the the other guy whose name I've already forgotten, so that's really good. But (laughs) I just realized as I was talking, it's Jalen something. So Jalen St. John, I'm pretty sure. I will confirm that. But Joe Moore is probably the one they have the best shot with. He made a point to go spend some time around Tony Tuioti during this thing and was just talking to him, hanging out with him a little bit. Uh, I talked with Joe Moore after that, and I had talked with him the day before too, and he was pretty he, – he's tough to read because he's got a lot of teams that he's interested in, but you can tell that he really liked meeting Tuioti, that that matched up with the sort of coach that he's intrigued by. Moore's interesting because he's kind of a tweener. He's a six foot two defensive end or he's an outside linebacker Nebraska basically telling him that they recruit him as an athlete and kind of figure it out once he gets there because they think his pass rush skills are can play at either spot and then Greg Austin was down there which was kind of interesting because the the guy he was going after the offensive lineman that he was interested in who I believe is Jalen St. John but I have to confirm because I can't remember everybody's name that's correct had released a, a top group that Nebraska wasn't part of, but they've continued to recruit. And I, I think that's one of those things that I, I kind of want to hit on is that when you see these top groups or when you hear that Quandarius Robinson isn't going to visit Nebraska, and there's a, there's a good chance that that's accurate in the moment of time of what it reflects. Just like Wondell Robinson committing to Kentucky, none of this stuff is a done deal, and Nebraska has to evaluate how much extra time they want to spend on a Jalen St. John or on a Quandarius Robinson to see if they can put themselves in position to just get the kid back to campus. Because that's really the name of everything that you're doing in recruiting is to do enough to just get them back to campus. Because every time they come to campus, they like it. They're around the coaches, they like it. They see a game, they like it. They see the facilities, they like it. They hear from the fan base, they like it. It's all about just getting them to campus. So I those were kind of my big takeaways from 2020. 2021 – You have um, Gabriel Rubio, very good player. Travion Ford, very good player. Ja'Kalen Johnson, very good player. Nebraska got to see all three of those guys. They worked out. They talked with all of them. Uh, They put themselves, I think, in okay positions for each one. Travion Ford's going to be here this weekend for another visit. Be the third time he's been out here since November. I think that's a pretty good sign for Nebraska. Uh, But he's got a lot of interest from a lot of teams around the country. Official visits start again for Nebraska this week as well. Cody Simon an outside linebacker from New Jersey. He's actually a safety at the high school level, but Nebraska is recruiting him as an outside linebacker. He's from the same school as Joe Daly and DJ Singleton, if uh, you remember those great former Huskers of their one- to two-year stints at Nebraska. So uh, we'll see what happens with Cody Simon. Talking with Brian Doan, our East Coast guy, it seems like Nebraska is in a pretty good spot there. Then they'll have Blaze Gunnarsson, after that, the next week, and then June 21st, and we're going to have a couple weeks to, to kind of highlight this. going to be a really big day for Nebraska recruiting. They're going to have that barbecue 
the list right now is pretty promising. It's got a good shot at growing. Malik Reed and Sevion Morrison are two guys coming in for official visits. Alex Kahn plans to be here. Turner Corcoran plans to be here. Xavier Betts plans to be here. They're going to have uh, some 2021 guys in as well. Uh, we'll we'll see kind of how that all plays out. But recruiting, I know it's been tough for the people that really want the commitments. This month, you're getting at least one. I can promise that much. Oh, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> very, very big <laughs> limb I stepped out on there. But I suspect far more than one, uh, but at least one. You think you th- the big man camp that they're really pushing with Adidas behind it, do you think it's going to be – do you think you're going to see the kinds of guys attending that camp – that maybe wouldn't have attended that camp if there wasn't kind of the buzz around. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, will the size of that event and the the hype behind it that they're trying to push, will that bring more quality prospects to Nebraska that wouldn't have been here otherwise for that weekend? I I think it's going to be, you know, the, the people I've talked to have said it's been really well received. Obviously, with those camp things, you get a lot of people that say yes, and then you got to see who actually shows up. But I think it's going to be the start of a good event, and I think it could really grow from this point forward. I, I would imagine, you know, this first year is going to be the skeleton iteration of what could be, you know, a pretty nice thing for Nebraska to have on its campus every single year. Because if you're getting these kids, whether they're 2021, 2022, 2023, you know, big offensive linemen, you're getting them around your campus. Oregon had a ton of success with this when the, the opening was out there. Other camps have had a lot of success with this. Uh, when they you have an event-based thing and people know it's a competition, you get the opportunity to present yourself to not only the schools like Arizona State and Miami and NC State and the other ones coming in, but you get the opportunity to show up and perform for those exhibition you know, all-star games, which is a draw for a lot of these kids. They want the opportunity to say they're you know able to go down to – the uh, All-American Bowl in San Antonio and playing that game. This is one of your pathways to getting there. So I, I think that it's probably not going to be extremely star-studded, but it's going to be on its way to being a pretty well-respected event. Gotcha. All right, well, we're going to take a quick time out here, but when we come back, we're going to be talking a lot of Nebraska baseball. Darren Erstead, no longer one of the young 40-year-old former athlete coaches that uh, with a dry sense of humor joining Fred Hoiberg and – Scott Frost, they got to find somebody else that fits that parameter. Brunts, do they have it? Don't tell us. We'll come back after this. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. So Nebraska baseball goes down to Oklahoma City, wins its first game against UConn in a very odd game that listening to on the radio never felt like they were somehow in the lead, and yet they won by three. Uh, and then they play Oklahoma State, and they jump out to a 5-0 lead. Things look great. Matt Waldron cruising. Get to the eighth inning. They hit a Oklahoma State hits a solo home run, I think, in the sixth. And then Matt Waldron gets to the eighth inning. Goes out for the eighth, which there was some internet debate as to whether they should have brought in the bullpen at that point. Some? Well, I mean, a little. No, there was a lot. And he got some outs. He had a little bad luck in there, too. And gives up another run, so it's 5-2. to two. Shea Shanneman comes in, gets an immediate out. Nebraska has done nothing, basically, since the third inning of this game offensively because Oklahoma State brought in a guy that's a right-handed pitcher that was pitching to contact, and Nebraska wasn't even making contact. And the bottom falls out in the top of the ninth inning. Three-run homer, Trevor Boone. We can discuss uh, the Kobe Gomez decision all we want. I don't think that I had no issue with it. It was the it was what I thought they were going to do. It's what I thought they probably should have done, uh, and it did not work. But that led to Nebraska playing on Sunday at noon, in which it did not show up, and the uh, the Huskers went home. The following day, Darren Erstad turned in his resignation, which I don't think anybody saw coming. Is that a fair summation of the chain of events? Yeah, and it's – I've talked to a lot of people over the last 48 hours about, you know, timeline, you know, when they knew, that kind of thing. I mean, it, it was – this is something that I think Darren erstad has been thinking about for a while. I know he's been thinking about it for a while. Um, you know, Nebraska had a really bad year last year and I don't think that I, I think that fact may have led him to continue to coach longer than maybe he would have otherwise just to leave things on a good good place um, you know they lose on Sunday and you know the he told his coaches and staff like that night that things would probably change or he was looking to maybe make a change and drive back to Oklahoma from Oklahoma city on Monday players get off the bus. They have a meeting where he tells them, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And all of a sudden you're, you're looking for a baseball coach. I mean, I, I talked to Bill Moose yesterday and he told me that, you know, he, he wasn't taken aback by it because apparently this was a discussion that, uh, Darren had kind of been ongoing with with uh, John Jens, who's kind of the overseer of baseball over in the AD. So a surprise, yes. I, I think, you know, just given the, the amount of success they've had the last, you know, three, four years, you know, last year notwithstanding, it's surprising. But at the same time, I mean, it, it's – when, when, if, when you get to know Darren Erstad and you, you see him around his family and around his kids, 
it totally makes sense because, you know, he's not doing this job for the paycheck. I know he's disappointed that he disappointed the players, but, you know, when you're recruiting kids who are freshmen in high school now, you can't look them in the eye and say you're going to be the head coach in Nebraska in six, seven years. I mean, it's kind of hard to do. Yeah, I uh, I was definitely surprised by the news. Um, I had heard, and I think that you had heard as well, that there had been uh, a contract extension on the table for some time for Darren Erstad. I I think that the outside perception was that he was on shaky ground. The actual reality of it was that Nebraska was nowhere near making a move with their baseball program, and Erstad is the one that created this move by the decision that he made. It it's one of those things that hindsight is always twenty twenty. I look back at the month that you know was in May and and filling into the coverage uh, with with you being gone. I mean, he was a different guy than when I had covered the program at other times because he was very loose. I don't know how you felt, Brian, yeah. in Omaha or when you covered the Michigan series, but he was a very like he was very loose. He was very jovial with his players. I joked to to Gary Sharp that I even saw him smile once which is unusual for Darren Erstad, I felt like. Uh, and I, I actually remember this, too. The, the night that they beat Michigan in the Big Ten, he, he answered a question about setting the pitching lineups by basically saying that his biggest concern right now was to get home and find out how his son had done in a, a youth tournament over in Council Bluffs earlier that day. And so I, I think his son's at that age where Darren wants to be really involved and – from what I've heard, he's a heck of a baseball player, and so there might be another Erstad coming through the system that maybe someday will play for Nebraska. So we'll see how that all goes. When you you can sit back and you think about it, it kind of makes sense that we ended up where we did. And he talked about a team that he felt like he got the most out of that he could have, and uh, they overachieved for what they were. They had one player drafted, and even that was a surprise to, I think, a large majority of us that someone even got drafted from that team. So I, I think he left them better than where he found them. I think he's happy about that. Um, I thought that Darren Erstad had a nice tenure at Nebraska. It's apparently a controversial take for some, but where Nebraska's at right now compared to where Mike Anderson had it, totally different place. Yeah, no, it's night and day where it was. Um, and I mean, when you kind of go back and look at the the first couple of years of his tenure, I mean, he had to do a lot of kind of putting things in place to have the success that they did, even though, you know, they were moving to the Big Ten. Um, you know, kind of putting a bow on this season, and I, I think this year was probably his best coaching job of, of this time at Nebraska. I mean, it's without question in my mind, they overachieved from what they were you know, projected to do at the start of the season. You look at their numbers. I mean, they he, he said this on, on Sunday. I mean, they really had no business being in the NCAA tournament for, you know, the numbers they were putting up. And, you know, they, they won some tough series late. And it, it's tough as a coach, I think, to really kind of turn things around. And it was pretty, pretty negative around the program uh, in April when they stopped hitting. The bottom kind of fell out. But, you know, you, you win – a really tough series against Arizona State at home after getting your teeth just totally kicked in that first night. Um, you know, you, you beat Michigan, then you go on the uh, go to the Big Ten tournament and, and you know really kind of play good baseball with with a pitching staff that was frankly pretty thin. I mean, after you get you know five guys basically 
thinking Gomez, Waldron, uh, Fisher, and Palkert, Shannon, I guess you could put in that group too. They don't. They didn't have a ton, and you know they they really did. I think a pretty nice job of, of getting that team to. I mean, hell, within one out of a an NCAA regional final. I mean, for almost a month they played really good baseball. They yeah. had one bad game against Arizona State. They won that Monday against Northwestern. They had a bad series, uh, you know, earlier. But Northwestern's probably a little better than anybody gives them credit for in baseball. Uh, they they played well. I mean, the, their two wins they had to start off the Big Ten tournament was about as clean as Nebraska had played in a long time. They came through with big hits and two outs in the inning. They came through with, you know, extra base hits. The, the comments and the concerns about Nebraska's lack of slugging. I mean, they were hitting the ball well. They were pitching it well. And up until the final 11 innings of their season, things had been really good for them for about four weeks. So baseball's a tough sport. I mean, when it goes bad, it can go really bad, and it sticks around for a little bit. And when it's good, it's really good. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things about Erstad I always appreciated is that for a guy who's had as long of a career as he's had, he knows that it's just a fleeting moment, you know. You have a bad game, you can erase it with the next one. He was so excited to talk about that 18-8 to loss about just dumping it because that's what you get to do in baseball. And he was ready for the first person who was going to ask, the, what do you think this will carry over negative momentum for your team, and just dumped on that question. He was ready for it. It's like he had his answer just in the holster and came out firing, but... You know, I Bruns, where do you see them going at this point forward? We've all heard the names. You hear Rob Childress, you hear Will Bolt, Justin Seeley, uh, some other names have come up. Do you think it's as simple as starting with those three, or do you see this going any other direction? Well, I mean, it's Bill Moose is going to put out some interesting parameters on the search. I mean, he says he wants sitting Power 5 experience, or at least that's where he's going to start. And – you know, this there's it seems like every year there's this conversation about well, what's Nebraska baseball in the Big Ten? What's the ceiling? What are the expectations? And to me, this search I think is going to be a pretty good litmus test of you know how that job is viewed nationally. Um, and I, I think there's a couple ways they could go. I think you go. I think you have to. You have to make Rob Childers tell you no. You, you kick the tires. You know, hey. One last go in Nebraska. Do you want it? He says no. Okay, great. You move on. Um, you know, I, I from talking to people who follow this stuff, the 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 feeling is is that you're not going to see a big name out of nowhere come to Nebraska for this job. Um, you know, it's seen as a job where the right person can come in and win. But you're not going to get a guy that's you know in the SEC with no connections to Nebraska or the ACC to come to Lincoln, um, even if you you know money whip him. So, me personally, I mean, I think you've got a couple guys down at A and M. I think Will Bolt is ready to be a head coach uh, at the next level. I think that uh, Justin Seeley could do that job as well. I mean, you've got Nate Thompson, who's the top assistant for Dave Van Horn at Arkansas who was a volunteer assistant in Nebraska. I mean, there's a lot of kind of youngish coaches who are ready for that first job who have connections to Nebraska. You balance that with, okay, well, if you want Power 5 experience, and I think that's important too because, you know, you, college baseball is kind of a, its own animal. I mean, you have to manage scholarships. You have to recruit 
like crazy. Uh, you only get the two full-time assistants. So, um, you know, if he wants that, that experience, I mean, it's probably going to be somebody that doesn't have uh, a ton of connections to Nebraska, or frankly is going to be a name that's going to move the needle a ton. I mean, I, I could see a scenario where if it's not a familiar name to Nebraska fans, you're going to get a coach who has experience. that's going to be able to win at Nebraska, but you know, for for the fan that shows up watching Nebraska baseball in the middle of April for the first time, it's it's not going to be huge. This reminds me of uh, like when Nebraska football is hiring a position coach, right? Like people know like three or four. I'm including myself in the people thing. We know like three or four names, some of us, and if it's not one of those three or four, you're like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, you know. I don't have a problem though especially with baseball, I feel this more about college baseball than the other sports with finding somebody who has been at a lower level or not a power five, who has built a program for a long time. Like Dave Van Horn did at where Northwestern state before he came to Nebraska. I have no issue with a guy like that. If he has a track record, sort of, sort of the Jim Tressel model if you will i always think of him as an example of coaching where you you take a guy who's just won a ton at a lower level and you're banking that that knowledge of how to build a program can translate i don't have an issue with that if they find that type of guy i I don't and going back to the perception of that job i mean i think it's seen as a tougher place to win than it used to be i mean i don't think it's a top 40 job i don't think it is either um you know I, I don't – I would go – Nebraska is not the best job in the Big Ten right now. I, I would say it's behind Indiana and probably Michigan right now. Um, you know, the the facilities advantage that Nebraska enjoyed um, 10, you know, 15 years ago has narrowed considerably. Um, you know, more re- recruits from this area are being recruited by teams in the south um, – than they have been in the past. I mean, travel baseball has really changed that. It's it's just uh, you, you can't view this job now through what Nebraska baseball was in 2005. Like, it's just a different context. And I, maybe it's it's hard for people to hear that, but, you know, it that that's the reality of the situation, I think. Look at the Super Regional. I'm looking at the matchups. Mm-hmm. One Rust Belt team, mm-hmm. Michigan. Yep. <laughs> the team Nebraska beat three times last week. You know, I mean that, and Michigan got a good draw and it fell their way, and that's baseball. You know that um, if one if Nebraska gets one more out, who knows? But uh, it that speaks to the challenge. Just look at the teams that are left standing: West Coast, Southeast Conference, ACC. And it's that that conversation is interesting too because I asked Bill Moose specifically. I said. What are you, what are your expectations for Nebraska baseball? Like we talk about it all the time. What are yours? Because I mean, they're the ones that matter. Frankly, did he say that they need to win the Big Ten conference every single year? He did not because it's the worst conference that's ever played baseball in the history of the sport. He didn't because it's not. I'm shocked. Yeah. It seems to be the consensus from my Twitter followers. But but he said that that Darren checked all the boxes from a achievement standpoint that he would look for in. Lane, like basically, because he made postseason play and they won a conference title and they were competitive yeah, most of the they, time. They were competitive most of the time. You go to the NCAA tournament four out of eight years, and he acknowledged too. I mean, it, when you start talking about re, super regionals getting there, I mean, it really is 
you got to get some breaks. I mean, you, you got to get big outs. No question. You got – you can be in a situation like Michigan was where the host goes 0-2. Never had to play him. Never had to play him. I mean, stuff like that, um, you know, that, that that is almost as big of a factor sometimes in getting to a super regional um, than anything else. I mean, the, the hosting conversation is interesting too because it's, you know, so, so much RPI-based and it's such a challenge for teams in the north to do that. But – it, it, it'll be fascinating to see what direction they go because, you know, that there are guys out there who I think would be good with Nebraska connections, but I don't, I don't know that that's the direction that, you know, he's necessarily going to look first. And I don't, I don't know if it would matter either. I don't know if you could convince somebody if, if you're in college baseball and, and that's your life taking Nebraska and putting them to the pinnacle would have to be like one of the crowning achievements you could have in the whole scope of college baseball. Cause you're doing it down the road in that atmosphere. I don't know if you can sell somebody on that, on that dream, you know, of, of taking Van Horn got there. If you could finish that somehow, some way, someday, imagine that that would be better than winning two or three down in the, South, I don't know that guys are going to look at it that way, but you kind of need a dreamer a little bit, I think, for, for right. this job. Well, and it's it's a yeah. difference of money too, right? I mean, Darren Nurstad was making two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. You could have made more, sure, but he didn't I, he, he obviously didn't care enough to. But but look at it like a, a potential head coach. I mean, you the money for you is going to be important. Your salary pool is going to be. Or your assistant coach's salary pool is also going to be very important because you've leaned so much on those guys. And, you know, Nebraska, I think, can be really competitive with assistant coach salary pool within its conference. I mean, but Michigan probably would be the only school that I could see being able to pay more. But I think Nebraska could be first. In but the when pool. you look, but nationally, Nebraska being first in the Big Ten, where does that put you nationally? Right, sure. I mean, you're when you're talking about LSU, who is paying their head coach a million bucks. I mean, you, you've got to, you've got to really push all your chips in. If you're in Nebraska at this point to say, you know, baseball matters to us. If you're going to go out and try and get a big name. Um, and I think it can. And I think, you know, Nebraska should in all honesty, not, not necessarily that you have to go out and get a big name, but whoever you hire as your coach, go give them the resources to go, you know, with the, the right. assistant pool. But I mean, that's, that's how I felt about basketball too. Right. Well, it is, and that's not to say either that like you know Darren Erstad was handcuffed by you know what they actually no. had a pretty, a pretty right. good pool. But I mean that that stuff matters. I mean even s- stupid stuff like that you wouldn't even think about where you know the ability of of players to get academic aid matters so much in baseball uh, versus you know any other sport because you, you only have, have 11.7 11.7 and that's why a team like schools like michigan um have been able to kind of rise up as quickly as they have because they've got guys that are getting money elsewhere which makes it easier to go to that school i'm curious and maybe i'm just way off base here do you anticipate you see a different change in scheduling philosophy under a new coach than what we saw under Erstad? you saw a lot of west coast uh early tournaments I thought he actually, in the same that happened with Tim Miles, I think they both got better in their career in terms of scheduling. Miles had an unlucky break, you know, two years ago with how things fell. But uh, 
I thought Erstad did a nice job of scheduling, but I'm curious. Like, that's one of those things in baseball. Like, that actually really matters. How you choose the schedule really not only it, it affects you, but your conference and the RPI, too. Because if you're not challenging yourself, <coughs> Iowa, then you're not going to help the conference in terms of building your own RPI and then building the conference's RPI. Right. Well, and, and it's that's the rub for being a, a northern team, too. Like, if you schedule tough, you better win those games early on. I mean, when – Nebraska, looking at their resume versus, I think Oklahoma State played 35 games against top 50 RPI teams, and most Big Ten teams are kind of struggling to get to 10. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure that, you know, whoever the head coach is, connections that they have to be able to schedule uh, will, will probably uh, play into that. But, I mean, Nebraska's got uh, – they've got to go to Baylor next year. Um I, Again, I believe they um, are locked in for another year with Oregon State. So, I mean, it's you're going to still see stop that schedule. I, I know. Uh, well, maybe get them now when they're on the way down. But um, oh, look at Bruns. Yeah. Oregon State's on their way down because they went zero and two in a regional, and they were a hey, national seed. When that bottom falls out, look out. 2006 Nebraska. So you're predicting a 2007-like season for Oregon State? They, they've got a coaching vacancy. We'll see who they get. No, it's not Pat Casey. No. He's in play at Nebraska, apparently. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so, yeah, that's – I mean, nothing concrete to report. It's still pretty early in terms of the search. But, you know, I, Bill Moose is working it. John Jens, uh, who's also in the AD, he used to be the – overseer for ucla baseball when they were really clicking a few years ago i mean I, i'm guessing that he's going to have a role to play as well and i mean heck you know why not lean on darren Erstad a little bit and see what he thinks yeah if, if it's not will bold or rob childers people just need to give it some right let's let's see what the guy does what do you think the percentage chance that it's not one of those two it's like 50 <laughs> you think it's a half and half deal? Kind of, I don't know. Yeah. And then in that, it's probably about if you were to just split it of the I mean, children's and Will bold, bold, I would put bold at the eighty-five, like, fifteen of the yeah. list. Yeah. yeah, but but it's not just like you know, people say, oh, it's just Nebraska connections, and it's 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 not. I mean, like no. he's ready. Like well, he's coached before. He's at Texarkana College, right? He was was an assistant at Nebraska. He was an assistant at Texas A and M. He's had. Plenty of time to learn from Childress. He played under Dave Van Horn. He wasn't like I said. I mean, he's 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 done all these things. I think it's I think he's a totally viable candidate. I always and it's just the way that I am. Whenever Nebraska's hiring anything, I think about how I would want to do it if I was in Bill Moose's chair. And I always lean towards hiring a guy that's been a head coach at that level. And that's, that's not always correct. I mean, you, you look at Texas Tech's coach. They're in their golden era of baseball right now, and they went and they found their Dave Van Horn. That guy was a junior college coach. Right. That doesn't mean that, you know, and, and I think Will Bolt can work. I'm, I will be fascinated by, not that I even know who the names are, but, you know, a couple years in as to how the, the assistants are really what's going to matter here. You know, if you go hire Will Bolt, who his pitching coach is, is going to be enormous. Sure. You look at Nebraska's success, whenever they've had it, it's because they've had pitching. They rarely ever win or beat teams with bad pitching and great hitting. That 
I can't think of a Nebraska team that's made a regional under that recipe. Right. Well, it's and it's. I don't think the head coaching experience is that big of a thing, to be honest. Like, well, not in, less in baseball than it would be in football and basketball for sure. Like Kevin O'Sullivan at Florida, he was an assistant right. before he got that job. Chris Lamonis was a, an assistant at Louisville before he got hired at Indiana as their head coach. Now he's at Mississippi State. Um, I, I just the way that ba- college baseball works, I just I feel like it's you get a lot more seasoning as an assistant coach. Um, well, there's only one of you, right? Well, two of you. Yeah. Could have been three. Could have been three. Yeah. But anyways, that that's probably enough baseball talk. But it, it, it's going to be – There's never enough baseball talk. Yeah. You want to talk some Twins-Indians? Indians putting a little pressure on, on Brian? <laughs> let's, let's not. Let's <laughs> not do that. Yeah. Br- you know Brunson's, Brunson's, are, Brunson's already mad that we delved deep into Virginia football earlier. Bruns <laughs> has his items in his cart that he never actually buys. Yep. BC has his 2019 AL Central Champ shirt in the cart All that right, he's waiting to, to purchase. And with Cleveland's last two wins, he doesn't know if he can. I haven't said one cocky thing all no, he year. All year. Because I'm just – Brian's been outstanding. I'm, I'm a Minnesota sports fan, and I know how it yeah. goes. I, I have to say, I sometimes Look, we're relish our way into it. being in the role where you're – you kind of think you've given up on your team, and then they show a little bit of life. And then you're talking yourselves into they're somehow the underdog. I very much like when my team's in the nobody believes in us camp. I rally around that. That's yeah. my thing. I don't really like playing from ahead either. I yeah. some, sometimes yeah. I prefer being four and a half games behind or a run behind in the fourth inning. It's fair. This is uncharted territory. Yeah, Nebraska didn't like playing from ahead either in Oklahoma City. It didn't work so well. <laughs> Circling back around to the start of the podcast, uh, Scott Mitchell was a Utah grad. Yeah. There you go. Sorry about that. BC knows his quarterback. Yeah. First get well, that was the first Husker game I ever attended as a like seven year old. Scott Mitchell was a QB. Sometime sometime in July, I'm gonna make a list of random schools and I'm just gonna name the school and you two have to give me the first quarterback that comes to mind. Sounds fun. And uh we'll we'll go through <laughs> and, and see how it goes. I think that's the best way to get through a July podcast. It might not be fun to the listeners, but fun to us. Yeah. In, in July well, that's it's really not about the listeners. No, the not time. really. As this one, as this podcast today probably proved, they're gonna get what they get. <laughs> Sometimes it's just shenanigans, which is what they're gonna get. But you know where you can get hard hitting Nebraska information. Where Mike? You can get it at Husker twenty four seven. There's been a lot too. That's not fluff. Busy week. That's not fluff from you. Yeah. There's been a lot this week. You, uh, Brian, has been working on some Mario Verduzco uh, stories. I believe he spent a little bit of time with him. Brunts yeah. obviously got an interview with Bill Moose and his hard-hitting the baseball stuff. We've got recruiting, which I, I've already guaranteed one commitment this month. Camps. Lots of camps. And there's camps. Unfortunately, there are lots of camps. So, Nebraska <laughs> official visitors. Uh, I still have some stuff I want to run from Xavier Betts, who explained to me what it was like to be on the receiving end of a phone call being told that he was being invited to the opening. Uh, that was an enjoyable experience for him, enjoyable for me to hear it, uh, and I will bring that to Husker 24-7 as well. Also, great time to get on board if you're not a member of the site. You can get a monthly subscription for a dollar. We might have a special coming up later this month. Keep your uh, your eyes peeled to the page or your ears listening to this podcast, and we'll let you know when that is. Otherwise, we'll catch you next week on the Husker 24-7 podcast. 